Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. (laughs) This is exciting. This is exciting to be a part of. This morning during worship, I was um, praying and I was like, God, this is your family and you're leading it. What do you want to say to them? And he said, tell them they have what it takes. And I feel like that's especially for the men in the house, that you have what it takes. Whatever God is calling you to, you have what it takes. He is in your corner. And so I just want to bless you with that um, and say that he believes in you and we believe in you and we are excited to be in this journey with you. Um, So let me pray real quick and then we'll dive in. God, we just thank you that you are the biggest thing that is happening in the world right now. That you are on the move. And your kingdom is advancing, and we are so honored to be a part of it. We're so honored that you would invite us in. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us this morning, to come and change our hearts and make us look more like you, Jesus. It is our desire to bless you and honor you in this place, and so we do. We bring our lives before you. And Lord, I just, I just offer this time as worship to you from my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. Um, so Joel and I, on uh, at the beginning of March, we celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. So yay! We got married really young. It was like just a few weeks after my 22nd birthday, and we got married. And so we just celebrated 13 years. And I just love on our anniversary to reflect on that day. Like, um, sometimes we'll take out our wedding photo album and we'll, you know, look at it with our girls and, and show them. And photography's changed a lot since then. So, um, yeah, I love to reflect on it. And, and my favorite moment to reflect on was whenever I came through the doors to walk down the aisle. And, you know, every bride is like, that's the moment. And, like, and, and you, like, reapply your makeup all day because that's the moment. You know, like, when you walk in the door, you, want all, you know all eyes are going to be on you. And you know that your future husband is going to be standing at the end of the aisle. And your eyes are fixed on him. And you just want to make him cry. You're like, I just, you know, whenever you see the grooms cry and you're like, oh, and you watch her and you, like, watch him. And you're like, he's crying. He thinks she's beautiful. So... I just remember that moment and and feeling so beautiful, like, wow, all eyes are on me right now, and I feel beautiful. This is the moment that I've been waiting for for my whole life, you know, to marry, and the man I want to marry and I've been dreaming about is at the end of the aisle, and I remember walking down the aisle and looking over and seeing people's faces, and I saw my one of my friends, and she's, like, bawling, like, oh. And she never cries. Like, she was, like, maybe one of, like, the hardest-hearted people. And I, like, look at her, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, she is, like, weeping, you know? And, 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 and I think when the kingdom walks in the room, it should make people cry. When the kingdom walks in the room, the beauty of it demands everyone's attention, And God calls us his bride, and that is what we are called to be. When we walk into the room, 
all eyes should be on us. Not because we're like, look at us, we're famous. You know, we're like drawing attention, you know. But we carry something that is so supernatural, that is so beautiful and radiant, that when we walk in the room, all eyes should be crying. <laughs> like the hardest hearts should melt when we walk in the room because of what we carry, because we're the bride. We are the bride. Bill Johnson says, beauty is God's mark that helps restore the soul of people. Romans 8:19 says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All creation groans for the beauty of the kingdom to enter the room. And creation longs to know, to be told it's no longer under a curse. Like, that's what, that's what creation is groaning for, you know? Like, they want to know, people want to know, am I cursed? Am I rejected? Does God want me? The earth wants to know, are, is, are we still cursed? The land, it, it groans. It says, restore us back to what we were created for. Don't just use me up. Restore me. I, I groan. They groan for the hope of the kingdom. And God is faithful to see his bride be the beautiful display of his glory and honor and wonder. But becoming a beautiful bride begins in your heart. That's what makes a bride beautiful, right? Because she could be really pretty. But you've seen Bridezilla, right? You know? <laughs> you've seen ugly-hearted brides and you're like, ooh, she's pretty, but she's not beautiful. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it begins actually in your heart. Becoming a beautiful bride begins in our hearts. And I heard a few years ago, my friend Nicole down here, we've been friends for a long time, she was talking about another one of our friends, Stacy. And she said, you always know when Stacy's been in the room because it's more beautiful when she leaves than it was when she entered. She said, Stacy, you always know she's been there because there's fresh flowers on the table. The, the overhead lights are, are turned off and the lamps are on and, or the blinds are open and the fresh air is coming in. You always know that Stacy's been there. And I heard that and I was like, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be like that. I want to be the kind of person that, and not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be aesthetics in a room, but the, the atmosphere changes for the better after I've been in the room. That's what I want my life to be. And so... And if you met Stacy, you would know, like, she's just full of joy, and, and she does change the atmosphere. So over spring break, we were, um, we had taken the girls to a big park, and we had gotten there, and there were, like, hundreds of people there, because everyone's on spring break, and um, so we step into the park, and I hear this woman, like, yelling this little girl's name, and, and she's, like, looking around, and I realize it. I imagine it's like she can't find her kid. And so I said, are you looking for someone? And she said, yes, I'm looking for my daughter. This is her name. She's three years old. I, I, and she's wearing this, and I can't find her. And so I said, okay, well, I'll help you. And so she had two other kids with her. And so I'm like, I'll stay here with your kids while, while you go looking. And then so she, other moms are looking. And my girls are standing there with me watching this woman run around frantically just in fear, like just running around yelling for her daughter because that's scary. I'm like crying. And I'm like, Lord, Jesus, you know where this little girl is. Just bring her, you know, like you see her. And so, so, but my girls are watching this woman and this fear, you know, like just being stirred up. And so after about five minutes, she found her daughter and she came back over and grabbed her children and left and we were fine. And then I look at my kids and they're like terrified to go play 
because they stepped into this situation where there was just fear being stirred up. And rightfully, I mean, the mom was afraid, but we can carry that in our lives. We can, we can carry a certain kingdom in our lives that whenever we go into a place, we spew this certain negative experience and the people there experience what we're putting off. They may not know what we're carrying, but that's what my girls were feeling. They were like fear and they didn't want to go play. And you know what's interesting? Whenever fear is being spewed, it stifles your imagination. You don't want to be free. You're insecure and you're afraid. And so we had to, you know, talk with our girls and say, this is, you know, it's safe for you to go play. It's okay. Um, And so I want to talk about the culture that we carry within ourselves. The culture that we carry within ourselves and whenever we walk into a place, are we, entering, are we carrying the kingdom of heaven into a place? Are we carrying a different kingdom? Because we, we have the freedom to carry whatever kingdom we want. God gives us that freedom. He says the kingdom is, a, is within you. Whenever you receive Jesus and his Holy Spirit comes in you, the kingdom gets put in you. And you have the freedom to carry that or not. And so I want to talk about the culture that we carry Culture comes from a French word that's then derived from a Latin word called, and I'm going to butcher this, but it is cholera, which means to tend the earth and grow or cultivation and nurture. So you think about like culture. It's something that we tend to and we grow and we give attention to. Culture is displayed in the behavioral norms of people. We are constantly cultivating a certain culture in ourselves and around us. There's this culture in us. There's these like behavioral norms that we have inside of us. And that's the culture that we carry. And the culture that we carry, our behavioral norms are rooted in a certain belief system that we have in us. It's rooted in, in whoever is Lord of our lives determines the behavior that we live out of. So if Jesus is Lord of my life, he's now the example of my life. And so I give him permission to cultivate his kingdom in me. And so the fruit of my life should be kingdom culture. It's not perfect. I'm definitely growing in it. But, but those should, that should be the, the behavioral norms of my life. If I have a different kingdom, if I have a different Lord, if I am Lord of my life or something else is Lord of my life, then, then whatever whatever is Lord of your life, that then, their kingdom then has permission to, to build in your life, and then that's the fruit of your life. And so if, if I'm Lord of my life, and all of the world is about me, then my fruit, when I interact with people, is I'm going to make it all about me. It's not going to be about you, because I'm Lord, not Jesus. So we have the freedom to carry in culture, and we cultivate that. So what are the signs that the kingdom is near or at hand? So I love the story when um, in Luke 7, 22, so John the Baptist is in jail and he has his followers there. And I imagine if you're in jail, you're pretty discouraged and you're like, okay, so I'm like putting my life on the line for this dude, Jesus, and here I am in jail. And I believed he was the Messiah, but my situation doesn't look very hopeful. And so his followers are there, and he says, go and ask Jesus if he's actually who I think he is, because look at me in here, you know? And so his followers go to Jesus, and they're like, John wants to know if you're really who you say you are. And Jesus says, the blind see the lame are walking, 
Lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor and broken are given the hope of salvation. Who do you think I am? You know, he's like, this is the fruit of my life. Dead people are being raised. Sick people are being healed. People have hope of salvation, the, the down and out. What kingdom do you think I'm carrying? Here's the evidence of it. When we see hope being restored, we know the kingdom is in the room. When we see hope being like what Joel was saying earlier, like that, that, that it's so easy to come under hopelessness, you know? Like there's just hard stuff around. And, and, and whenever you see people coming out of that hopelessness, you know that the kingdom is advancing in that place. Because whenever we have hope arising in us, that means that God is giving us perspective outside of our situation. And, and so um, that's how we know the kingdom is in the room. And I love, um, I've heard a definition of hope that is the joyful anticipation of good. Hope is the joyful anticipation of good. So how do I know if I have hope in a situation that's really hard? Do I anticipate good things to come? Hope is the joyful anticipation of good. And I've heard it said that the one with the most hope has the most influence. The one that carries the most joyful anticipation of good has the most influence. And you think about like people in the world who carry like this joyful anticipation of good where you're like, yeah, I want to follow them. Yeah, what do they have that I don't have? Yeah, you know, it's like Jesus in the middle of a storm. He had joyful anticipation of good. So, and so joyful that he could walk on the water. So joyful that he could tell that storm to be quiet. He had hope. And I want to ask you, is hope being restored in your world? Are you letting God work out those things in your life so that you have joyful anticipation of good? And we must free our imaginations to see the impossible. So many times whenever we see things that aren't hopeful in our lives, our minds are all built, caught up in like, in, in desperate things, and, and we don't see, like, the impossible, where we're like, oh, but this thing, like, this situation, it won't change, and, and I'm having a hard time having hope. We need to free our minds and let his kingdom renew our mind so that we can see the impossible, and that's when hope comes through, whenever we can start to see the impossible. So um, at the beginning of the week, Joel and I... Um, it happened, started happening on Monday, and it, like, carried over into Tuesday. We just started the week, and we just felt hopeless. You know, we, I, like, we just kept saying, I just feel like I'm under this, like, heavy thing. And, and we had experienced what felt like some loss and rejection. Um, it wasn't, but it just felt like it. And so we just were, like, really battling to get up above this thing. And so I'm, like, praying, and I'm, like, God, I just I don't want to be under this anymore. So like Joel said, um, we're, we do church in our family on Tuesday nights. So Tuesday night, we're having um, family church, and um, we hadn't told our six-year-old like what we were feeling, but she said, can I tell you what I learned in church? And we're like, sure. And she said, what they taught us was that whenever we have a negative thought or feeling, we need to imagine a box, and that we need to take that negative thing, and we need to put it in that box and close it and send it away from us. And so we're like, that works. That works for me. So 
we went around and we just confessed what negative feelings we were feeling and we imagined our box right there and we put it in the box and then we said where we sent it to and it lifted it lifted our six-year-old right there but it was our imaginations it was our willingness to say okay god i'll try it i'll try it I'll try it. I'll put my bad, because I don't want my bad feelings with me anymore, so I'll put it in this box and I'll send it away. And it lifted. And we had hope again. And sometimes that's just what it takes. It just takes a prophetic act. Sometimes whenever we're like, you know, maybe we have a negative situation in our life and, and, and it's just this like thing that we just want to stomp on. Sometimes we just need to get alone in our room. We just need to say, I put that thing on the ground and I just stomp on it. Or I just put that thing in that box and I just send it away. Maybe sometimes we need to like go buy a box actually and put the negative thing in it and kick it to the curb. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get free of hopeless things because God wants to cultivate his kingdom in us. And we've got to allow our minds to align with the kingdom. So world change starts within you. Mission starts within you. And we hear, you know, all the time, be the change that you want to see in the world. It's so true. Let the change happen within ourselves. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because we're not even aware of it sometimes. And sometimes we don't want to because it's painful. It's a vulnerable thing to let the kingdom come in us. And so um, I'm going to read from Luke 13, starting in verse 18. Jesus taught them this parable. How can I describe God's kingdom realm? Let me illustrate it this way. It is like the smallest of seeds that you would plant in a garden. And when it grows, it becomes a huge tree and so many spreading branches that various birds make nests there. Jesus taught them another parable. How can I describe God's kingdom realm? Let me give you this illustration. It's like something as small as yeast that a woman kneads into a large amount of dough. It works unseen until it permeates the entire batch and rises high. Are we allowing the yeast of the kingdom to permeate into every area of our lives? I said earlier, you know the kingdom is at hand whenever the dead are being raised, whenever sick are being healed. You're like, God, well, is the kingdom really coming in my life? Because I've never raised a dead person. I've never raised a dead person. But all it takes is a seed to say, I've never raised a dead person, but I'm open to it. Just that seed of the kingdom. I've never laid my hands on a dead person and seen them raised. But God, if you want to plant that seed of faith in me, do it. And I'm open to it. During worship, I was like, let it happen to me, God. Let me lay my hands on a dead person and see him live. Oh my gosh, how amazing would that be? But you know, it doesn't necessarily happen just in people. People are not just dead. Relationships are dead. Communities are dead. Re places are dead. So I'm like, God, let it be in me that I lay my hands on this person and their relationships that were dead are restored. Let it be in me that I walk into this situation, this broken community, and, and, and dead things are coming back to life. This neighborhood that's abandoned, let it be in me that I walk into it and it comes back to life. And, and hope is restored in that place. It, it starts with a seed. And once the kingdom is alive in you, the branches of your life become a safe place for people to rest. 
Once the kingdom is alive in you and that tree is growing in you, your life then becomes those branches that the broken and the sick can come and rest in. So what is your internal culture? Is it something people would want to be a part of? Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what the world wants is an honest, authentic display of love. What the world needs is you to be fully alive in what you were created to be. That's what they need. I stole that from Joanna Gaines. <laughs> it was on the front of her magazine, standing in Lowe's. And I was like, you go, girl. That is one person who has allowed the kingdom to come in her personal life, and it's spreading through all the world. It's changing. That's why, she, that's why they're so attractive. It's the kingdom in their hearts, and they're using it to change the world. They're, I feel like they're an amazing example of that. God's desire is to drive out fear from the earth. It's fear that separates us from God. It's fear that separates his creation from him. And his desire is that all his glory and wonder would overcome our deepest fears. That all his glory and wonder. I mean, it would be pretty wonderful if someone raised from the dead. And, and, and I don't think I would be afraid. I don't think I would be afraid. I think I'd have a lot of hope. So how many of y'all have ever worked with a personal trainer before? I have. Yeah. So you go in and you're like, okay, I'm going to work with this personal trainer because I need you to get me in shape. So you submit your will to this personal trainer because you realize my will actually has gotten me out of shape. So I need someone else's will to come in and take over my will that knows how to get me in shape because I obviously don't know how you know? And, and I remember one time working with a personal trainer and there was like this little step and they're like, I want you to jump up onto the, onto that block. And I'm like, I don't think I can, you know? And I'm like, you know, cause I was like, just hadn't worked out those muscles in a long time, but things start shaking in you when you work with a personal trainer. Whenever you submit your will to a personal trainer, like things in you that you didn't use before and work out, they start shaking. And uh, so whenever we pray, God, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, things in our life tend to start shaking, don't they? Because he wants to shake out of us everything that's not in alignment with his will. And so, so sometimes we can pray like, God, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, and then things get hard. And you're like, oh, God, what? What? Like, you're supposed to be, like, coming through on my behalf. Like, see, I've just given my life to you. I've just said, like, your kingdom come. Like, I'm like a favorite now. But things start shaking in your life. And you're like, I don't know if you heard me, God. But what's happening is that he is working out of you things that are not in alignment with his will. Because he wants his kingdom, his will, anything, any other kingdom in you, he's going to shake it to get it out of you because there isn't room for both of them in you. So he wants his will to be done. And you said you gave him permission. And so when that happens, we just cling to Jesus. We just cling to his promises. All his promises are yes and amen. So when the shaking comes, we say, God, I'm in this with you. I'm clinging to your promises that you're not going to let me fail in this. And your will be done above everything else in my life, no matter what happens. And in order to see his will come in the earth, there will have to be a shaking. 
There's going to have to be a shaking. Whenever Joel and I bought our house almost 10 years ago, um, it's almost 100 years old, and the first thing that needed to be redone was its foundation. It was a really bad foundation. And no matter what we did upstairs, paint, fix cracks, whatever, it all would come back if we didn't fix the foundation. So when we say, God, your will be done, he starts beating out that old foundation that we've built our lives on so that his will can be done, so he can lay the foundation in our lives. And at Sozo, we know that God is building a movement that will impact the world. And we're in a season where our primary focus is at home. Whenever we started Sozo, actually before we started Sozo, Joel and I, our desire was to go overseas. Every year we'd be like, God, are you sending us here? Are you sending us here? Are you sending us here? And he had, has us planted here. And we are so happy to be here. We know this is where we're called to. And our desire is to send people overseas. But right now we're building at home. We know that he said build at home. And Steve has taught us for years that you can't export what you're not doing at home. So if the kingdom is not coming in San Marcos, we can't send you overseas. Because if the kingdom's not coming here, it's not going to come there. We, it's so important to us that, that at home, it's like you raise your kids, you know, and you're like, if I don't teach them how to be a responsible, uh, you know, thriving citizen, once I send them out, they're not going to learn it out there away from me. And so our desire is that, that we would learn how to cultivate the kingdom in our lives and in our family, in our city, so that we can export it to the ends of the earth. And we know that, that, that it's going to happen through family, we know that it's going to change the dynamic of family. And Jesus created family everywhere he went. He had people just following him. And I can imagine what kind of family situation, that dynamic that was, you know, where they, they knew everything. How many of you have been on a mission trip before? And you come back and you're like, those people are my family. You know, it's like you're serving. I imagine that's what it was like with Jesus, where they're like telling stories and they're becoming family. And people were begging to be a part of it. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's creating family among us. And I remember whenever Joel and I first got married, um, I went and I stayed at his house while he was living in England. And I spent the weekend with his family. And afterwards, he was like, what would you think? And I was like, I want your family to be my family. Because of the culture that they carried, the way that his parents interacted and, and the way they loved Jesus, I was like, I want in on that. I want to align my life with that for the rest of my life. And so here I am. <laughs> Praise God. Um, so is the kingdom advancing in your family? And maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you don't have your own family. But is the kingdom advancing in your friend group? Is it advancing around you? Signs that it is. People are loved right where they're at. People are being healed. Souls are being restored. There's joyful anticipation of good. Fear does not have a stronghold and beauty abounds. It's our desire that these things would be evident in the Sozo family culture, but it begins in your own heart. So a few years ago, my sister and I, we took a trip out to California. And um, how many of y'all have ever been to Venice Beach? Yeah, it is a bizarre place. But it's like amazing to see, you know, and you look at yourself without any tattoos or anything and you're like, I don't fit in here <laughs> and I can't do this really cool street act and, you know, so we're like walking along and we're, it's lunchtime and we want to find a restaurant to eat at. So we walk up to this restaurant and there's like people sitting out on this patio and they're like really cool looking. They look like filmmakers, you know, and they've got like cool glasses and tattoos and they're like, 
And we're just these like little girls from Texas. And we're like, we want to eat here. And the hostess was like, oh, well, actually, our kitchen just stopped working. And we're like, oh, okay. She's like, you can order from the appetizer menu. And we're like, okay. And then she starts giving us reasons why we shouldn't come in. And we're like, okay. And she made it very unappealing to want to come into the restaurant. And we finally got the message where we weren't welcome here. It was the, I've never experienced that before. But, I, but we walked away and we're like, okay, I feel like they were maybe trying to like keep a certain image in that restaurant and we didn't fit into that. And so she made it very clear that we were not welcome there. So we're like, cool, we'll go on. We just grabbed some pizza or something. But I want to say, sadly, that I think that that sometimes is the culture in the church where people walk up and they're like, I really want to go in there. And then we communicate in a way because of the culture that we carry that says, oh, I don't know if you're welcome here, though. And we make it very unappealing for people to want to enter in. But I see that Jesus, the ultimate carrier of the kingdom, was not that way. He aligned his life with the worst people. Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the rejected, the sick, the dead. <laughs> That's who he aligned his life with. So if we are going to be the bride of Christ we are called to be, we must be a safe place for all people. All people have to feel safe in our presence. That doesn't necessarily mean that we... Um, applaud or praise bad choices or whatever but they have to feel safe enough to come into our presence to receive healing and that's what we're called to carry and if you want to change it you can't judge it if you want to change it you can't judge it to judge something is to try to control it control never brings the right kind of change maybe some maybe compliance but never, it never comes from this place of like loving submission, like I want to change because I feel loved. Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Only God's love can bring the change that we desire. He is our source of love for people. When we judge and criticize something, it reveals our unbelief. God started showing me this week that in my own heart. It reveals that we actually feel powerless to change it. So we just throw rocks at it. I can't change that thing, so I'm just going to throw insults at it. Have you all ever heard of the broken window theory? It's like whenever there's an abandoned building and there's a broken window, you just pick up another rock and you're like, oh, well, the window's already broken, so I'm just going to throw a rock through, through the window and break another window. And then the next person comes along and they're like, oh, well, there's already two broken windows, so I'll just take my can of spray paint and I'll just spray on, spray on the building. The broken window theory. And that can, that can happen in our lives with people. That thing's already broken. That person's already broken. I'm just going to throw an insult at it. That, that school system, it's already broken. There's no hope for that. I'm just going to throw an insult at it. That city, that family, that business. But God says, you were not called to do that. It takes courage to not pick up a rock and throw it through the window. It takes courage to say, I'm not going to pick up that rock and throw it through that window. I'm actually going to see that building as an as a opportunity for redemption. And I'm going to start to say, okay, God, how can we restore this thing? 
When I see people like that, it's not an opportunity just to pick up a rock and throw it at them, but I'm gonna say, God, I need your perspective on this person. What is your, what are your words about this person and how can I partner with you to see restoration in this person's life? If you are judging something that you want to see change, then you need a deeper revelation of the Father's love for you in the situation. That's what it is. I can't love, I can't give away what I haven't received. So I can't love that person because I have this blockage of receiving from God. So what I need is to humble myself and say, God, I need a deeper revelation of your love because I'm, I'm, I'm judging this thing. I'm not loving it. Joel said last week that our role is to carry the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that affects the whole world. Bill Johnson says, we are creating a culture where we are advancing to the place where souls are restored and beauty has its rightful place. That's what we're doing. That's what we're called to. So I'm going to end with this. In Isaiah 58 in the message, God says, submit yourself to my will and this is what I will make of your life. So, you know, I talked about like God, we say, God, your will be done. And the shaking comes. But he says, when you do that, this is what I'm going to make of your life. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll see the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. That sounds like an amazing bride, doesn't it? A bride that can fix anything. That's amazing. And I want to say that that is you, Sozo Church. This is who you are. And this is why you have what it takes. This is what you carry inside of you. And you have what it takes to see your life, your family, your community, your realm of influence changed. And we know that if that's happening in our lives, we can move anywhere in the world. And it's just going to go with us. So I just, I want to pray and I want to bless you. So y'all want to stand with me? So I talked about how it starts in the culture of your own heart. And I want to ask you, how is the culture in your heart? There's no condemnation. It's like it just takes that little turning towards God. And he's like, I'm going to put that seed in you. And I'm, and, and it's, and I'm going to work it into your life. And I'm going to see that culture change. But I'll ask you, how is the culture in your heart? And is the kingdom advancing in it? Do you have hope in your heart? Do you have joyful anticipation of good? And I also want to ask, where have you judged and condemned those that are different from you? Are there areas in your life where maybe there's a certain people group that you've judged? Maybe there's a certain, maybe you have a boss. Maybe there's a, a certain like social structure that you've judged. We're going to ask God for eyes to see them the way he does. Because you know what it is? Like God wants us to be a display of him. You are the bride of Christ. 
you are a bride and you are a radiant bride and he wants that to come to full fruition in your life. So why don't you put your hands out? Say, God, make me into your image. Invade the culture of my heart. I want your fruit. Use me, God, to raise the dead, to heal sick people, to see broken lives restored, to see communities made livable again. Let it begin in me. Change me, God. I want your culture. I say your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And Jesus, we do, we bless you. We thank you, God, for your kingdom that brings such hope. Thank you, God, that you have not left us as orphans to figure it out on our own. But you've put your kingdom in us and you've called us into this amazing story that you're doing in the earth. And we wanna be all in with you. And so we say, Lord, fill us up and send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.